Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 14. 
Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Okay, well, thank you very much, Marianne. Just introduce the, the topic, really, and then we'll see uh, where we go. Can I take you back to the year 1492? Um, I'm sure you remember the year, not, not um, because you were there, um, but because it's one of those years that uh, we do remember. It's one of those historical dates you never forget. Um, was it 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? And he went and he was absolutely convinced uh, there was somewhere beyond the ocean. And he went, he traveled three and a half thousand miles and he landed in the place we call America. And he came back. And he told us, he told the people of Portugal, is it? Or was it Spain? I forget which. He told his fellow countrymen and many others since of the existence of this wonderful land. And, and I suppose in a sense, that's what we're doing uh, tonight as we look at Jesus and the resurrection. We're looking at somebody who, who, who has gone to heaven and has come back and has come and told us what it's like. In, in a sense, we experienced heaven on earth for 40 days when Jesus, uh, between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus was popping backwards and forwards between heaven and earth. And he was, he was between two worlds and heaven came down. And, and as Paul has just told us, the disciples saw him. The, the, the women, first of all, saw the empty tomb and believed. And then, although well, nervous at first, but they came to realize that was the only conclusion. And then Jesus appeared to the disciples in the locked room, to 500 others. And then, as Paul tells us, he appeared to himself, Paul, this dreadful, despicable uh, Jewish Pharisee who had uh, killed and imprisoned many Christians for their faith. And Paul was convinced he had met the resurrected and the risen Lord. I, I think it's important that we recognise the, the, the value of the resurrection. I think it's important that we... I mean... I'm surprised really that 
we've never really had this debate um, in the last few years, but when I was uh, a bit younger, uh, things like the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus were really big topics for conversation. People thought that the resurrection was just, you know, that, that story that made, tried, was, was written as, as a bit of fiction, really, to try and make the ministry of Jesus seem a bit more um, real, a bit more powerful, a bit more effective. But tonight we come to that conclusion that if we don't believe the resurrection took place, if we, if we can't accept the resurrection, if we just think it is a story, a bit of fiction, then we are in a very serious situation with our faith because um, our hope, our future is indeed also limited. Jesus didn't go to the promised land, as it were. He didn't return uh, to, to, to us. And so tonight we, we just have to try and put these things into context and we have to ask ourselves what we do believe what were the other possibilities? Some people say Jesus swooned on the cross and when he was in the cold tomb, he came round. He crawled out of the, the, the hole somehow. And uh, eventually uh, that night, he managed to convince his disciples that he'd risen from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not really convinced by such a, such a thought. Conqueror over death. This is not the sort of sermons that Peter preached. He would have been very much in quite a poor way that evening had that happened. And anyway, the Roman soldiers were pretty good at uh, determining life and death, and they could surely have spotted if Jesus was simply unconscious. There are others who believe that Jesus was, wasn't actually a Jesus, that just before he died, he, was, uh, he sort of left his body and vanished into heaven. And that's what they call the Docetic or the Gnostic view, the view that, that uh, somehow this, this heavenly being just occupied the body of Jesus for a certain number of years. And you often see these sort of heresies being countered by people like 1 Peter and 1, 2 and 3 John. And the sort of things the letters, the pastoral letters, seem to combat. But this evening we have to ask ourselves the question, where did this confidence of the disciples come from? Do we believe, do we trust in the resurrection? Can we see it there at the very centre of our faith? Is it something in which we can truly put our trust and our hope? But Jesus did die. He died for You and I will die because of our sins. But Jesus died for our sins. He didn't deserve to die. He was completely and utterly innocent, virgin born. He was pure, perfect. He did not sin from the day he was born. He, he was crucified on a cross. He rose from the dead. And then he met the disciples, 500 others, and indeed a good number of people who were absolutely convinced that this Jesus had risen from the dead. And so we, we need to take that story tonight and try and make of it what we can as we just study and think about these passages. And uh, I just, I suppose the first thing I'd like to ask you is, is, is if we can either move on quickly or we can, we, can, we, can, we can stop and answer some questions. But the question is tonight, do you accept the resurrection? Do you, do you believe in the resurrection? Is it something that has ever caused you a problem? If anybody wants to make any comments to that. Well, I believe in the resurrection through the Holy Spirit. Right. So you feel as though you've, you've had assurance, as it were, from God's Spirit. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm repented. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that was taught quite firmly a few years ago, isn't it, Charles? That, you know, you had to confront your own sin and repent from your sin and, and by faith in Christ and his death and his, resur and his resurrection. Not just his death. There, there were many... Some denominations who just look at the death as the big issue, um, as Jehovah's Witnesses do. They aren't denominations, I know, but they, they concentrate on the death 
um, and the resurrection of Jesus is something that we we look to. Yeah, but but to me, the Holy Spirit is is Jesus risen from the dead as a reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, as a living, reality. Yeah, to live a live, living person. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I thought when we went through the waters that we'd give up all these sins and believed everything. Yes, and then and then of course you accept you're baptized uh, into Jesus. You're baptized into by the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah. into, into a new life your, your past life has died uh, you, you you've drowned it if you like and you rise from the water and that's the symbolism the church uh, uses yeah yeah and and we we um confirm that regularly when we take communion of course we we recall the death and the resurrection of jesus that's what we do in communion there's, there's only two sacraments the baptist church actually believes in is is is, is baptism and, and the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Uh, many other churches, as you know, have other other um, um, things that they would hang their sacraments, they would hang their faith on. But uh, we only have the two. Any other comments? So the resurrection is something that people tonight, we accept, we believe in it, we trust in it, we, 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 we won't be surprised if we, if we met the risen Lord, perhaps people, there are very few people like St Paul who have met Jesus uh, since, since he, he ascended into heaven. And we're looking forward to benefiting from that, that resurrection life ourselves we are going to be resurrected ourselves. And I think it's quite important to make clear that this is not, this is not the same sort of resurrection as Lazarus had. I think it's important to recognise that Jesus genuinely is the first fruits. He, he, was, he, he rose from the dead on, on um, the day of Passover, or the time of Passover, and that's often seen as the, harvest, the first harvest festival. There were three harvest festivals in, in Israel, and this is the time when the new potatoes come out, if you like. This is the earliest harvest that takes place when the, the, the new um, shoots come in. The second harvest is at Pentecost, of course, when the wheat has grown. And the third harvest is later in the year when the grape harvest comes in. But this is the first fruits. And Jesus is rising from the dead at the time of the first fruits, the first harvest of the, the new year. And I think that in itself has something to tell us about Jesus being the first fruits, the first risen from the dead, the one who who replaces the first Adam and he becomes the second Adam. And, 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 and by doing this brings to us this, this genuine confidence that this is, this is something for us. It's not just for us to, to, to look at him. Now Lazarus rose from the dead, but died again because he, he still kept his fleshly body. And Jesus rises from the dead um, as, as somebody who, who is going to reveal to us who we are and how we are going to live in the future. So am I correct in saying that tonight we, we believe God's word? These are not problems to us, some of these passages, some of these sections. You don't think, oh, I don't, I don't like to read passages like that. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an important part of my faith. Is that not, that's not something that you think? You, you, resurrection is something that you would, you would stand firm on and you would argue even to the death. Um, um, you, you'd accept persecution um, on this subject. Is that is that fair? 
Yeah, we, we were just saying, actually, that we think it's kind of almost a given, you know, that, uh, you know, your faith can't mean much at all, really, unless you believe in the uh, the death and resurrection of of Jesus. You know, it's the kind of cornerstone, almost, isn't it, of, uh, of what we believe. So, uh, you know, it, it's... I must be something I've never, never, I've never, never, really, never crossed my mind to question at all, actually. Yeah. Well, well, I haven't, but mm. I'm very conscious that when you do talk to people about the resurrection of Jesus, when you preach the resurrection of Jesus, people aren't very keen um, to, to, to accept it. Um, that's been my experience. I think the ones what have gone through Sunday school and have gone through it all the stages over the years. Right. You know, you sort of accept what you've been told as a kiddie and then as we've got older, because I've never doubted the resurrection because it was taught from... It's been taught always in, in the places that, that, that people like us have been to. As Sunday yeah. school. So we are faced with a, a world then that doesn't hasn't been to Sunday school, hasn't heard this this good news and and we have a responsibility perhaps to pass on this 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 good news to others because the resurrection of Jesus is is the proof that God has dealt with sin and and yet you know as well as I do perhaps talking to people about sin is more difficult isn't it about the fact that we are sinful people not not the sins we commit the fact that you were born a sinful person. You were born not going to heaven. You were born with your future destiny, um, not, not in a heavenly realm. And, and so the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that his death for, for our sins and his resurrection over death is sufficient for us. And it's this sort of outworking that we have to come to terms with. I think it was a time... Is so yes. i think that is one of the major stumbling blocks is sin and hell yes i agree you know i mean, I mean uh, like i've heard recently that there's not many ministers of re, uh, you know that preach hell no no but the, at the end of the day the, the uh, alternative is either heaven or hell you have to set upset one or the other you know i think the important thing is that's right the important thing is we need to recognise we need saving yeah, from, from our sins mm. because we're born facing in the wrong direction and, and we do need the forgiveness of Christ and we need to accept that. And, and I think that many people have said about um, some of the situations you see on the news sometimes, it was hell out there, they say, when there's a war zone in Afghanistan or, or whatever. But, and, and I was reading a book the other day that made the suggestion it, it, it might have been a difficult place, but there's only one, one time in history when hell has ever been on earth, and that was when Jesus hung on the cross and said, uh, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was that, at that point when, even though he was going through agonies, he had the extra agony of having separation from God. God was no longer with him, and there was no longer that relationship. And, and the resurrection, if you like, restores and proves to us that God can restore that, that life, that hope, that, that relationship. Because God couldn't look on sin. God couldn't be present when sin was present. 
God had to look away and walk away. Um, and I, I mean, I think if you, you have this experience yourself sometimes. If you if you see something dreadful going on, if you see a fight sometimes or, or what have you, you know, the, the best thing to do often is to walk away and to not get involved. And that's what often people do. And, and I think we, we're in that same situation here where God just cannot get involved with sin. He's dealt with it. He's made provision for it, but he, he doesn't get involved in it. And, and so, therefore, when he sees Jesus on the cross and he forsakes Jesus, then Jesus is going through hell. And I think it's it's this it's this that is what the definition of hell is, really, where God isn't. Where God doesn't exist in, in that place and we are, are abandoned. And the only way to not to be abandoned is to is to recognize that sin does lead to abandonment by God. God can't look on sin and therefore we do need uh, to have the confidence the resurrection brings of seeing Jesus as the, the one who forgives us our sin and gives to us that, that firm rock. We often think about the firm rock on which we stand and, and, and all these things are centered around this sort of hope. Are there any other comments that you want to make from this passage or from some of the things we've said? I think from what Charles has said about him, we used to hear sermons on hell some time ago. All of a sudden, they went out of fashion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, because it's distasteful. It's something that we don't feel we are um, bad enough to go to. Um, and uh, therefore, we shouldn't talk about it. In fact, um, on the occasions where I have done the fire and brimstone sermon, as it were, I always get more comments um, from a sermon like that uh, of distaste right. uh, for for such a, a sermon. You know, um, you really went for it, Mick. You know, <laughs> 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 and and really, um, I think it's because. I don't like to think of myself going there. And the way to heaven is through this thing called the cross. And the cross is like the lock that opens my life, if you like. It, it, it's the key that, that, that renders me um, appropriate for heaven, even, even though I don't deserve it. Mm. Um, it's there in, in verse 10, isn't it, or verse 11, um, that um, it is by grace mm -hmm. that I get into heaven. It's not through anything that I have done. Well, actually, it sort of is. It's because of my sins and the healing that Jesus has done that I get into heaven. And that's not fair, but that's the way it is in God's economy. He is that gracious that he will allow us in but it has to be through the cross and i believe we have we have to believe in the cross to open that lock as it were in our life to to render us um as on the road to to glory and um i have to say that towards the end of my ministry i didn't do many um hell and brimstone sermons and people were quite pleased about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to go for it, Mitch. 
So you so stopped did, going for it. Did you slam down on the pulpit, you know? I confess to having done that. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't done that, have you, Pete? I haven't, no. I haven't. And I, and I wonder whether I ought to have, really, but uh, I haven't done it, no. <laughs> I think I did it really to symbolise how the old pictures used to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Alex's mum always said that they had one minister at Scotland who really did... You know, yeah. and I think old Mr. Brown, well, he was at Walgrave, but he done Brown and Walgrave thing, and he quite often used to hammer the. He never went up in the pulpit bit, but he always had the table, and he always used to bang, bang that. Well, banging the table or not, I think we do <laughs> need to understand what. Um, hell is about. Yeah. If we don't understand what hell is about, can we really appreciate how beautiful heaven is going to be? Yes. Well, hell in the dictionary reads a place regarded in some religions as the abode of the dead or of the devils and condemned sinners. Right. I think it might be a bit warmer than that. <laughs> a place of state of supreme. Wisdom. It doesn't say Wellingborough then or anything like that. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just a bit concerned, really. I suppose, especially as I look at, you know, how we are these days. We're very comfortable with the gospel, aren't we? And I just, I just worry a bit. I suppose that we're not very good at, at preaching salvation really and giving people the chance to make a choice i mean not necessarily our choice but i do i do wonder if some people haven't had the chance to have this choice and and you know I, it just concerns me that the resurrection is something that you know if it if it is true and we believe it is and, and i'm absolutely convinced it's true then and all the other things are true and the reason jesus rose from the dead was to deal with issues like sin and to, and to rescue us and, and this rescue does need to to be um, available to not just us to share it together in Kerry, but for the whole of Kettering, really. And it one of the things about you know a lot of the sort of doctrines of the of the Christian faith is that uh, you know to the ordinary person they actually don't make much sense, do they? In, in a kind yeah. of worldly, uh, a logical thing. You know, if you say to somebody, well, you know, Jesus had to be sacrificed upon the cross for our sins. And because of this, you know, yeah. we're able to have our sins forgiven and, uh, and, and be acceptable to God. You know, on the face of it, it, it's complete nonsense, isn't it? You know, it doesn't make any sense what, whatsoever. And it's, it's just, I think, and because I think we've kind of been grown up in it and we've, we've, we've sort of lived that life for... For so long, it's kind of become part and parcel of sort of how we can't our sort of outlook on life, isn't it? And how we sort of think about things. And it's, and it's quite difficult, I think, sometimes to explain to people that don't believe it in a way that kind of make makes any sense, really. And and as Charles was saying, it's only through the kind of working of the Holy Spirit and and, and that, that 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 God kind of turns nonsense into sense, isn't it? Really, it's a, yeah. that's the kind of um, kind of basis of faith in a in a way. You know, it's not like teaching somebody how to ride a bike or to drive a car or 
you know, play cricket or something. It's a, it, it, you, you can't do it. It doesn't work that way, does it? No. Some, suddenly you see it, don't you? And that once yeah. you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. A bit like looking for Wally, you know, you look for Wally and you can't see him anywhere. And suddenly you see him and you can't not see him. Yeah. And that's but how also, it is with faith. But also I think there's a language barrier. The language we use mm. is completely alien to what people yeah. around us. Mm. I mean, we've, we've, we've changed the Bible, you know, from the King James to the New English and, and then to like the NIV and all the good news is all different. But even that is totally irrelevant to the people around. I mean, many of them probably wouldn't understand what sin was. I mean, you know, really, it, it, you, it, it's something we've got to explain in a simpler term in a language that they know for them to even start to understand. Mm. Yes, you see, I mean, you, you, we, we've always, the, our foundations have been chipped away, but the devil has taken away the basis. So you start off by saying, God created the world. And most people now say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. It was it's evolution. And so automatically, you, you know, you've got this, this difficult position to start from. And, and even though evolution, as far as I'm concerned, would suggest that all human beings come from one couple, exactly the same i mean it isn't that we're all evolved in different parts of the world we all came from one couple all, all scientists said would say that and then of course once you don't believe in evolution once you believe in evolution you can't say the world is ever once perfect and once you start saying the world is once perfect and then it stopped being perfect then things like climate change if you like become become issues don't become issues anymore because you know we believe that the world is is going to deteriorate and it's going to be rolled up as a scroll it is going to fall to pieces. It's, sin is going to, 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 to bear its fruit. And what's happening around us, we shouldn't be surprised about. And there's absolutely nothing that the human race can do to stop that happening, other than turning to Christ. And yet, I don't hear, um, I wouldn't, I'm going to the Baptist Union uh, seminar a couple of, in, in 10 days' time on, on Jesus and climate change, because I'm very interested to hear what Jesus has got to say about climate change. Because I don't think climate change is the issue. The issue is sin. And once you've dealt with sin, everything else is, is, it comes into, falls into place. And all we see in the world today is man chasing his tail as he's constantly trying to put, to, to fix. It's almost like the, the Titanic sinking and everyone's getting their finger and putting it in the hole. It's not working. Do we see it? Do we see that bigger picture? I mean, does climate change worry you? I don't know whether climate change worries me. Uh, the likes of Psalm 8 worries me, where we are told that we are put into some sort of role of responsibility for yes. our world. Yes. And therefore, um, I have a problem with my responsibility about looking after the world. I don't necessarily call that climate change as such, but that climate change is the result of Absolutely. me. Absolutely. You see what I mean? It so got to change it our, we have got to change our ways. For me to talk about. You know, I've created it. Yes. Yes. But changing our, changing our ways is something we need God's help with, I would suggest. I don't think it's something we can just do. Yeah. And I think that's where the problem comes in, isn't it? When we, we, we can't... Um, we, we haven't got the ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootlaces. Not at all. Just as we can't resurrect ourselves from the dead. We need God's power. God's dynamite is the word, isn't it? God's, God's uh, 
incredible power amongst us. So my, my final question really is trying to deal with this difficulty of explaining to non-Christians the issue of sin and, and, and forgiveness and, and resurrection. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost impossible given people's mindsets. Is, is that, is that fair? I think what Sandra said is very interesting, how um, we don't seem to have the, the, um, the language to, to communicate it somehow. Um, because, well, really over time, all the things that we would see as sinful, as things that the Bible has a downer about, really, um, we used to have words for it. Uh, but gradually over time, we've changed the words that describe those despicable things just to make them a little bit more acceptable each time. And so when we're talking about sin, we've almost forgotten what sin is, you know, in, in terms of um, uh, the major factor. If you look at the Ten Commandments, we've, we've, we've skirted around what we would call uh, adultery, what we would call um, murder and so on. We, we, we've taken degrees of it um, and, and given it nice names in a way. But when it comes to describing um, the way of sin now, it, it is so much harder to emphasise what is nasty about it, what is hurtful about it, what is, is deathly about it. Yeah. Um, and if we use the language um, of the of the Old Testament or, or, or language of yesteryear, we sound very prudish and very stoic, and um, people don't tend to listen. So we could do with, with another set of words that we use to to describe um, the nature of sin and um, forgiveness. I mean, Eve's sin really was not to believe God's words. That was Eve's sin. She just didn't believe that God was telling the truth. And that's quite an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, the devil is called a liar, isn't he? And, and, and I think, you know, it's difficult in the world today to know what's true and what's false. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest issue we face. And I have to say to you, when people stop me in the streets or ring me up and tell me I've won something, I don't believe a word of it. Yeah. And so when we tell people they can be given eternal life, I don't believe it either. Yeah. Somehow we've got to demonstrate, haven't we, some of this. As we have with other things, like, say, climate change, we've got to change our behaviour yeah. in order that, that people can see we're really serious about it. <coughs> I wonder if it's... I wonder whether it's something to do with um, the way the language is seen as churchy rather than spiritual. Would that make any sense? Yeah. Religious. I mean, because there's so many religions now which people are aware of. And of course, some say parts of the world, Christians are fighting Christians, aren't they? You know, it's... It's, it's so it's, distressing. It is. It is. Is anybody else... I've got... I, I don't really want to go any further tonight because this is an interesting chapter and uh, I want to keep a bit for next week. Uh, 40 minutes is my plan. Anybody want to make any other... Comments? 
don't know whether Carol's got any comments to make about some of the things that, that she does when she's with a Scripture Union people. Um, you, you, you seem to be able to communicate with them quite, quite well. Yeah. I can remember doing an exercise once with the youngsters. They were Christians in this particular group. And we, we challenged them to actually describe their faith without using any religious language, which their friends might understand. And we, we did a, a buzzer, you know, <laughs> and it was ever sort of difficult. <laughs> Every time it was a, a, a religious word or a... Something that they, we didn't think, so you know. Did they manage it eventually? I think we got probably got there in the end, but it became a lot longer than what they would normally have done. But it made them really think about what what it was they did believe. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just trotting off the set words or set verses that they'd always been taught, they well, actually, does that mean? Yeah. That's very interesting, Carol. It really is. We, we must challenge uh, ourselves to do that, mustn't we? Then I suppose to try and write uh, or tell our Christian and non-Christian brothers and sisters these things in in simple, in simple, straightforward language. I think that we recognise the power and value of prayer when we speak to people about this. Though I mean, I think we've been talking about, um, as Charles said, you know, God's Spirit does come into people's hearts and He does illuminate those hearts he does enable us to see things uh, and we do need light which is why we say so much at christmas about jesus being the light of the world i was just thinking some of the kind of attempts that have been made to sort of simplify um christian language uh, have uh, sort of almost had the opposite effect in a way yes. uh, what they've done is kind of watered things down People have tried to make it more politically correct or socially acceptable, but haven't actually made it any simpler or, or, or any more explanatory in, in, in a way. And that's the challenge, I think, isn't it, yeah. really? We've, we've, we've tried to, to, to sort of tailor the Bible to fit people's kind of social and kind of way of the, the way the world thinks about things. And that's probably not always the best way of doing it, is it, in, 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 in a sense? You know, we've kind of diluted somehow the message in a way. You know, it, there's a difference between simplifying things and, and diluting things, isn't there? And I think we're yes. careful we don't do do that. Yes, I mean, we need to use their language, but we don't need to, 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 to try and um, in, in, encourage you know, their behaviours, do we? We need to do it, do it in God's way, yes, we do. Well, it's like the hymns, some of the hymns, like guide me over the great Jehovah. Well, all of a sudden it's Redeemer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do it automatically. I don't look at the words, so I'm. I suppose I'm as guilty as the next person. It's all done. But why yeah. not about with words like that? Yeah, some of the old hymns certainly use quite. Uh quite uh, old-fashioned language, language that uh, wouldn't be understood today. Well, they've recently updated the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Yes, so many Especially in the Anglican Church, you know, the, uh, the bit about forgive, uh, trespass against it is now sins. Yes. 
Yeah. Which I, I think the new version is quite good, personally. Well, I could think of Kitty learning it in assembly would think, well, yeah, I know what sin is, but not trespass. Yeah. Because mm. trespass, you know, I always thought oh, that we're not allowed to go in that field. <laughs> well, you you aren't you aren't Marion. <laughs> not not scrumping. <laughs> no, I never went scrumping. It was always. <laughs> it's always somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to close with with a prayer that's taken from the Baptist book because I thought it suited us tonight, and then we'll we'll return to uh, the next uh, third of the chapter uh, next Wednesday evening. So we'll close with this prayer. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 I think that prayer reminds us that we do need equipping, don't we, for this, for this job. We've still got a task to do. You've still got that pulpit to thump, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about thumping pulpits. Yes. The man that stood out to me uh, of doing that sort of thing was John Doble. Oh, right. He used to do it quite regularly. Really? Yeah. The old man from Fuller? Yeah. 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 I thought Joel Hornsby used to get quite excitable in the pulpit too for Rockingham Road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've all seen them, haven't we, those preachers who go a bit far. <laughs> anyway, food for thought. We must see where, where we are. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank yeah. you. See you yeah. all. Um, Thank you. See you all again. I hope Keith yeah. gets voting. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> He's been voted out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why he's at the church. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Realise. Yeah. You'll turn up behind Jeanette in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you well for us, Jeanette. Bye, Carol. Bye, Carol. Bye. 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 Right. See you all then. Bye. Cheers. Bye. 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 Uh, I'll log you all off, shall I? There we go. Yeah.